Good morning, Chapel family. I have to tell you, after that worship and that family dedication, I'm a little fired up. So we need to pray, because I don't know what's coming out of this mouth. So let's pray. <laughs> yeah. Father God in heaven, thank you for this chapel family. Thank you for your church. Thank you for these families that just make this place so special. Lord, I need you right now to take me out of the way. Quiet our hearts and our minds. Father, speak through your words to penetrate into the deepest part of us with the truth that you need us to hear right now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So um, I'm Ted Voltmer. I'm the executive pastor here at the chapel, and I'm so glad you're here today. You picked a great day to be here. So we're more than, we're, we're out right now halfway through the book of Jonah in a series that we're calling Half-Hearted, Half-Hearted. We've been saying throughout the series that even though Jonah is an Old Testament prophet in Israel, he's so relatable to us today, wherever we are. We can relate to how he feels when God asks him to do something that he does not want to do. And we can relate to him when he finds himself in a difficult situation that he doesn't want to be in. And we'll relate to him today when Jonah finally does what God asks him to do. I've been looking forward to teaching this series with Caesar Tapia and Corey Daniels since Pastor Dave and I first started talking about it months ago. Then when Dave scheduled his surgery for this month, we decided now would be a good time to do it. And I have to say I've really enjoyed working with Caesar and Corey. Caesar preached the first message a couple weeks ago, and Corey will be up here next week to wrap up the series for us. Those guys have really helped me along the way, and I so appreciate their heart and the fresh perspective that they bring to this incredible book. We spent some time this past week talking through Corey's message on Jonah 4 next week, and you will not want to miss it next Sunday. So be sure to bring some friends and, and come on out. It's going to be very good. Well, you know the story. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to tell them that God is giving them one more chance to repent. Jonah does not want to go, so he boards a ship and runs away. A terrible storm hits, and to save everyone on the boat, Jonah says, it's me, I'm the problem, throw me overboard. So they do, the storm stops, and Jonah ends up in the belly of a fish for three days. And while he's stuck there, God teaches Jonah a lot about himself, a lot about Jonah, and a lot about his relationship with God. And today we're in chapter 3. God is giving Jonah a second chance, and he's giving the people of Nineveh one last chance, and along the way, we're going to learn something about God's grace and his mercy and the power of his words. I'm going to teach through Jonah 3 as we go today, and as I do, here's the big idea that I want you to listen for throughout the passage, okay? When confronted, when confronted with God's word, the softness of your heart determines the strength of your response. The softness of your heart determines the strength of your response to God's word in your life. Follow along as I start with verse one from chapter three. This is God's word to us today. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So the last time we saw Jonah, he was lying on the beach covered in 
fish vomit, and we don't know how much time has passed, but we know we can be sure that he was not expecting this. God calls him a second time with almost exactly the same command, and Jonah had to be thinking, wait, you want me? You're giving me another chance? You trust me to do this even though I ran away the first time? Because if it was up to us, we'd probably go with somebody else, right? Rather than be disappointed again, we wouldn't even ask Jonah. But God is all about second chances. And that doesn't even begin to cover it. He gives us so many chances. Because of God's amazing grace, he is always ready for us to try again. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Grace is getting something we do not deserve to get, like a second chance. Mercy is similar in that both grace and mercy grow out of God's great love. But if grace is getting what you don't deserve, then mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You see the difference there? And if you've been around church for a while, words like grace and mercy can lose their edge because we hear them so much, they become familiar to us. And we need to fight against that because grace and mercy are two of the most beautiful words that we have from God. So whenever you hear that, whenever you hear grace and mercy, try to hear it like you did the very first time that you felt God's grace and your mercy in your life. I remember the first time that we watched the original Wizard of Oz with Samantha and Nicole when they were really little, okay? So I, I've watched that movie, you know, a dozen times, right? But it was fun seeing it through their eyes and the first time. They were like, Dad, those monkeys can fly. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> that's, how we should, that's how we should respond when we think of God's grace with the same excitement we felt the first time that God gave us more than we could ever deserve. So if you feel like you're not good enough to do what God is asking, or that you're somehow disqualified from being used by God at all, just recognize that Satan is filling your head with lies to keep you from doing the good works that God has already planned for you to do. And if you do feel like that, when you feel like that, know that you're in good company. Besides Jonah, the Bible is filled with men and women who needed a second chance. Moses wanted to help his people but ended up murdering someone. And then 40 years later, 40 years later, God gives him another chance and has him lead the people of Israel out of slavery. David, a man after God's own heart, has an affair with Bathsheba and loses his kingdom. God gives him another chance. Rahab, Mary Magdalene, Peter. Peter denies knowing Jesus on the night that Jesus went to the cross but still Christ lovingly restores him to service and Peter becomes one of the founding fathers of the New Testament church. God always uses people who need a second chance. If he didn't, none of us would be able to serve him. So it's not a question of if God will give you a second chance. The question is, what will you do with it when he does? Remember, when confronted with God's word, the softness of your heart determines the strength of your response. If you're closed off to God's call, your response will be half-hearted at best, 
And that will affect how you do what he's asking you to do. Maybe this will help. I'm more of a visual person. I need to see things like this. God graciously reaches out to us through his word, through circumstances like we saw last week, through friends and family. And when we hear the gospel message that our sin separates us from God and we believe that Jesus paid the penalty for us through his death on the cross, and we know that that is the only way, believing in that is the only way to close that gap and heal our relationship with God, then we have a choice to make. Do we accept what Jesus did for us and repent or not? And the softness of your heart will determine the strength of your response. If my heart is hard and close, I'll resist and I'll push back. But if my heart is soft and open, I'll surrender to him in repentance. And when we do that, God shows us great mercy by forgiving our sins and not giving us the punishment we deserve. And when I appreciate both the depth of my sin and the extent of his mercy, then I want to obey him more and more because the softness of my heart determines the strength of my response. See, if I, if I don't think that I'm a bad person to begin with, I won't really appreciate God's grace. I may half-heartedly repent, but I'll totally underestimate his mercy, and my obedience will be more like just checking a box or going through the motions. We're about to see contrasting examples of this in our passage, so let's go back to verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. So this time, Jonah doesn't run away, which is a good start, but we'll see that his heart may still not be fully in it. In verse one, God said, Nineveh is a great city, and that is true on so many levels. This painting from Sir Austin Henry Laird gives you a sense of how impressive a city it was. There were 120,000 people living there in Jonah's time. 120,000, and archaeologists have discovered two walls surrounding the city. The outer wall was 60 miles long and encircled the outer fields and towns, and the inner wall was 50 feet wide, 100 feet tall, and that protected the inner core of Nineveh. As Caesar pointed out a couple of weeks ago, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, one of the cruelest empires in ancient times. They weren't just wicked, they flaunted their wickedness. They would torture, dismember, decapitate their enemies. And a historian said that they would actually bury the body parts in the road so that they could literally walk over their victims. Just so cold and cruel, unbelievably so. You can understand, understand why Jonah would not want to go there. Verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So it takes three days to get through the whole city, but Jonah walks for one day, stops and says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> it's actually, it's, it's eight words. It's actually only five words in the Hebrew. And that is the message that God gave Jonah to deliver. Eight words, eight words. So when I'm preparing to preach, I know that I speak about 140, 150 words a minute. So for the average message to you all, I need a little over 4,000 words. 
I would love to preach an eight-word message. Can you imagine? Don't be like Jonah. Repent and obey God. Let's pray. That'd be great. I wouldn't have to write anything. I wouldn't need the teleprompter. Even I could remember that. I'd probably still write it on my hand. We'd be done right now. We could all go to breakfast. But here, here's the takeaway. It's not about the number of words you use. It's certainly not about the messenger. We've seen that. Jonah was a mess. He was dealing with his own stuff. He didn't bring anything to the words. No. I have my own stuff. I don't bring anything special to these words. You have your own stuff. No, the power comes from our God who gives the words. The power in the message comes from the God behind the message, not from us. The Ninevites realize that even more than Jonah does. Look at the next verse, verse five. The Ninevites believed God, full stop. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, so now his message is going viral here, the king rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. So let's not rush past this. The Ninevites realized that this wasn't just Jonah speaking. They realized these words came from God himself. And even to realize that was by the grace of God. In Isaiah 55, 11, God says, my word goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So years ago, Barbie and I were on a mission trip to Ecuador. We had done several trips like this before, most of them with E3 and Sam and Gracia, who many of you know. Now on these trips, we'd go door to door sharing our testimony through an interpreter, usually somebody from the local church. Barbara and I would always be together and she always wanted me to do the talking. She'd be next to me praying the whole time, but she wasn't comfortable kind of sharing. Well, on this particular day, we got split up. And she went out with the local pastor and his wife, and I was assigned to another group. Now, wherever we went in Ecuador, people would be staring at Barbie's deep blue eyes. They hadn't seen anything like that before. And I was always like, yeah, I know, that's what got me, too. <laughs> so Barbie and the pastor and his wife, they walk up to this family. They're all out in their backyard, and they gather around Barbie, they're like staring at her face. And the pastor explains that they're from the local church. And could Barbie just talk with them for a few minutes? Well, the family stops, and they look over at the father. He's sitting on the back steps, and he wants nothing to do all this. But he says, fine. So Barbie starts sharing her testimony. She's weaving in the gospel and at the end, the pastor asks the family if they'd like to pray to accept Christ. Well, they stop again. And they look over at the father, and tears are streaming down his face. The whole family prayed to accept Christ that day. The power in the message comes from the God behind the message, not from us. Verse 7 from chapter 3. 
This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh, talking about the king. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So God, by his grace, allowed his word to penetrate the king's heart. And the softness of his heart determined the strength of his response. The king understands this is a good news, bad news situation here, right? The bad news is that he and his people deserve everything God's about to do. The king admits that. He admits that they they need to give up their evil ways and all their violence. He knows they are wrong. He doesn't even try to argue or get defensive about it. And he knows that God is completely justified and completely capable of punishing them all. That's the bad news. The good news is that God is giving them 40 days to change. And who knows? Maybe God will show compassion and give them all a second chance. Tony Evans points out that repentance is giving God the opportunity to reverse his judgment. And that's what the king is hoping for here. But the response is over the top. The king repents, all the people repent, and in case that's not enough, he wants all the animals to repent too. Nowhere else in scripture do we see an entire city repent like this. This is a true revival, and it's one of the greatest miracles in all of Scripture. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people believed. Then after that, he preached again, and 5,000 people accepted Christ. That was amazing. But this is 120,000 people responding to a simple message from a reluctant prophet. Only God could do that. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This passage begins and ends with a beautiful reminder of God's grace and mercy. It opens with Jonah getting a second chance and it closes with the Ninevites getting theirs. But you might ask, well, what happened here? Did God change his mind? I thought that was impossible. No, he didn't change his mind. In Jonah 1, God tells Jonah to preach against Nineveh because its wickedness has come before me. And here in chapter 3, he says they will be overthrown. God's intent all along was to curb their evil ways and protect his people, and he accomplished that. Remember that God cannot allow evil to continue forever, and he will destroy it if he must. But his first desire is to see people turn to him. 2 Peter 3.9 says it this way, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's heartbeat is to save us, and Jonah 3 is a powerful picture of that. So what do you and I take away from all this? First, be humble before God. 
We saw last week that if we're prideful and insist on doing things our way, God will discipline us. But today we saw that God will do amazing things through someone who is humble. The softness of your heart determines the strength of your response. God is always reaching out to us with his grace. And our response should be to repent of our sin every day. And when we do, he's waiting to overwhelm us with his mercy, which should make us want to obey him even more, making us even more sensitive to his grace in our lives. But the key is to be humble before him. Second, be encouraged. Be encouraged that God uses imperfect people like Jonah and me and you, and he does it all the time. He loves to give second chances. That's a great reminder on the day that we do family dedication because parents understand the need for second chances more than anyone else, right? In the family dedication class that we do, Heather reminds all these young parents that God in his perfect love and wisdom chose them specifically for their child. And he chose that child specifically for them so they should rest in that. I love that so much. And it's the same idea for us. God can use you right now, just as you are in whatever situation you're in. Like we saw last week, that may be part of the reason that you're in the situation you're in, because God can use your experience to impact someone around you. Don't resist God's leading because you don't feel like you know enough, or you won't say the right thing, or you just don't feel ready God can work through you right now just as you are in whatever situation you find yourself. And remember, it's not our words that make an impact. It's the power of God behind our words that changes lives. Salvation comes from the Lord. And that takes us to the last point. Be ready. Be ready when God asks you to do something, even if you don't see or understand what God is asking you to do. All God wants you to do is to take that first step and he will take care of the rest. Look at what Jonah almost missed out on here. God allowed him to be part of the biggest revival in history, one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. And at first, Jonah wanted no part of it. He ran the opposite direction. Now, could God have told him up front everything that was going to happen? Sure. He definitely could have said, Jonah, I'm sending you to Nineveh. I know you don't like these people, but you will be known as the prophet who led an entire city, 120,000 people, back to God. What do you say? I think Jonah could have eventually gotten on board with that. But God wants us to walk with him by faith. Not only by what we can see and know, and we can know this. In Ephesians, Paul writes that God has prepared good works for us to do in advance. God already has everything he wants us to do planned out for us. We will not know all the details, but we just have to trust him to take that first step when he calls. So when you're talking to somebody at work about a hard situation they're dealing with and the Holy Spirit urges you to say something, say it. When you're sitting in class and God is pushing you to talk to that kid that no one else wants to talk to, get up and do it. 
When you're waiting online and you have an opportunity to strike up a conversation with a person in front of you, take that chance. We may not know what will happen next, but we do know that whatever God asks you to do will be good, and it will echo into eternity forever. I'm going to pray for us now as we close today. But I'm going to ask you to stay in your seats because Pastor Dave is going to come up after me to share something with you. So let's pray together. Father, God in heaven, thank you for your grace that's constantly reaching out to us. Thank you for your mercy that's just waiting for us to turn to you. Thank you for the power of your word that's at work in our hearts and at work through us to reach people for you. Father, I pray that you just increase our awareness, soften our hearts so we can hear your voice and see you at work and then strengthen us through your spirit in our response to serve you every day and bring glory to you in every situation. Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship and fellowship together. Watch over us now, I pray, and bless us. In the precious, precious name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.